a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Welcome back, everyone. This is the extended edition of Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you on a Monday and very pleased to be joined in studio now by Senator Mitt Romney. Senator, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Boyd. Good to be with you again. Uh, always good to have you on air. And uh, the first purpose for this was to, when I was chief of staff, the thing I always wanted to dispel was the word recess. <laughs> so first I wanted to, you to just prove that recess just means you're working in a different location. Tell us some of the things that you're working on here in the state. Well, uh, for the weeks ahead here, we're going to be doing a town meetings. I think I have uh, seven town meetings coming up. Uh, as well as working on some constituent uh, concerns. And then there are pieces of legislation we're working on. Uh, we're crafting things that I care about uh, that relate to public lands, to wildfires, uh, to our crisis with regards to our spending and uh, excessive debt. So, uh, you know, both legislation, constituent issues, and then just getting out and seeing people. That's something which we get to do during this uh, uh, this August break, if you will. It's a break from Washington. Yeah. Uh, historically, people left Washington to go home to their districts, I think, to get out of the heat in Washington. Uh, but in this case, there's heat both here and in Washington. That's right. That's right. Plenty of heat all the way around. And uh, we're glad your staff is, uh, has made it in. I know they had some uh, adventures getting here to, to Utah as well. Uh, but it is a, it's a busy time as you, as you work your way through the state. Uh, you took some time this morning to talk about a, an interesting issue. You took on the issue of what is the future of conservatism uh, in the country. And I think that's a, a good question, a good place to start. So uh, share your thoughts in terms of what does that look like uh, from your perspective? Well, I think one of the defining uh, characteristics of conservatives is that not not that we're looking backward, but that we're instead looking forward and looking forward with some distance. I think conservatives tend to be very, very concerned about the long-term impact of various strategies, of various policies that they put in place. And uh, and some folks are just thinking about the immediate, the right now, you know, I'm going to give you a dollar, so to speak, and, and help you, uh, you know, have a meal tonight. That's a wonderful thing to do. We ought to do that too. But we also say, okay, what can we do to help people long-term? How do we help people get out of poverty? How do we strengthen our national balance sheet, if you will, our financial foundation, so we can preserve liberty for ourselves and for our kids and our grandkids? These, these kinds of long-term perspectives, I think, are characteristic of the conservative movement. And um, uh, we have differing points of view on policy. Sure. Uh, as we get more information, as we get more data, why we'll, we'll fashion policies that fit our best understanding. But the basic principle is we want America to remain strong. We want to protect freedom. We want to protect our Constitution. And we're looking for the best ways to get that done. Yeah. I think that's such a, a great perspective. You, you're working in Washington. It's it's hard to look forward with distance uh, because everything is proximate in uh, in Washington D.C. Usually with a political angle to it. Uh, how challenging has that 
been? You've been a, an executive of a state. You've been executives of large organizations. Uh, it's it's different when you're uh, one of a hundred and having to often follow through with something that someone with very short term goals and perspective is is driving. Well, there's no question that many times people are thinking only about the next election. Uh, and for uh, basically a third of us in the Senate, uh, the next election is two years off at most. Mm-hmm. And in the House, for everybody, it's two years off. So it's a very short-term orientation if you're just thinking about getting reelected. Uh, but one of the other barriers in Washington is the reality that in our constitutional form of government, you have to have both parties agree mm-hmm. to get anything done. And I think the founders uh, felt a a bit like Will Rogers, which is you're not safe if Congress is in session. Uh, (laughs) All right. Uh, The the idea was we don't want to do too much too fast because it can have some unintended consequences. Right. And and so to get major legislation passed, you have to have Democrats and Republicans agree. Mm -hmm. And so we can all get out there and talk what about what we're for. That's easy. Right. But the hard thing to do is to say, can we find something that we're for that we can get the other guy to be for as well? Yeah. And uh, that's what makes the process in Washington as lengthy and sometimes frustrating as it is. Yeah. If you're just joining us, we have Senator Mitt Romney uh, joining us in studio here at KSL today. Great uh, to have him in and uh, working through the state and not on recess on just a different work assignment is how we'll frame that. Uh, I, I did an interview with uh, former Senator Joe Lieberman a, a few months ago, and he, and he talked about the integrity of compromise. Uh, you just talked about, you know, not only being able to talk about what you're for, but understanding what those maybe on the other side are for and how you get to that integrity of compromise, especially on something like uh, we've got hot issues going on in terms of guns and background checks. Uh, as you look at how you navigate that with the long view, with the public really anxious to have something go on, uh, how do you lead in that space? Well, I think uh, conservatives uh, like myself have a general view that uh, decision-making is best made at the place that's closest to the people. And so whatever can be done locally should be done locally. What can be done at the state level should be done at the state level. And those things that are best done really at the federal level, why, we'll do them at the federal level. So when it comes to a database, for instance, where we're going to be checking people's backgrounds, whether they, for instance, were honorably discharged in the military, these kinds of things can only be done at the federal level or or most effectively done at the federal level. And so we need to improve, I believe, our background check system. And there are a number of pieces of legislation that have been proposed to do that. But then there are other matters where I actually think states are able to solve the, the issue better than the federal government. So the reality is if if there's going to be some kind of legislation relating to firearms or school safety, I think the states are most likely to get something done. Mm. And what Vermont does is probably going to be different than what Texas does. And they're surely going to be different than what we do here in Utah. Yeah. So when people are saying, hey, we need to get something done on on gun safety or on one of these matters, it's like, okay, don't look to Washington because that almost by our Constitution is going to be a very difficult place for things to happen. Look instead to your state legislature and say, how can we get something done there? And maybe with time, as we compare the experience of different states, why maybe Washington can say, okay, now we'll have a national standard. But until we do, I think things are better dealt with at the state level. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I want to uh, take uh, from the national perspective, uh, you have been a, uh, a significant voice in, in terms of the debt and the deficit. Uh, many of even our military experts are now saying it's the number one national security threat. Uh, and yet both sides of the aisle seem to be 
willing to spend just this one time or just you know one more <laughs> right. round and now we've suspended the debt ceiling for two whole years uh again from an executive standpoint looking at that uh how do we change that how do we uh change the game as it relates to that kind of spending well you're absolutely right uh, neither party officially right now is focused on uh, on the deficit and when i say officially i don't know if they actually put out a document saying here are official priorities but if you listen to both parties uh, you don't hear a lot about the def- debt right. and deficit. I mean, I, I looked at uh, uh, some portion of the 10 hours of the Democrat debates we've had so far, <laughs> and I don't believe the debt and the deficit was mentioned. Now, I may have fallen asleep during that segment, but I don't <laughs> recall that having been even mentioned. Uh, so it's just not a priority, and it should be. Uh, not because we're facing an imminent crisis because of the debt, but the interest is beginning to have a real impact. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to put that in perspective, we spent about $300 billion last year on interest on the federal debt. And, you know, when the president said, I want money for a wall, and we closed down government for, five point, for $5.7 billion, remember, 5.7 closed government, $300 billion was on interest. Right. So we got to deal with this. And uh, I believe the only way that's going to happen is by following in the footsteps of the Bowles Simpson work that was done before, which is finding a way to have a bipartisan group of people, perhaps senators, perhaps people formerly in government, to go after the really tough nuts. And those are entitlement programs, not to change them for people who currently rely on them, right? but to make sure that we're making promises we can keep to young people coming along. Yeah. I just in our, our closing uh, minute or so here, Senator, I want to get to this issue. Uh, we've been talking about this uh, a lot uh, at KSL and in on the pages of the Deseret News uh, around trust. Uh, trust in government is, is at an all-time low, uh, but it's also starting to fray the fabric of society a bit. We trust each other less in our communities and our, our neighbor. Used to be, if you were asked, do you trust your neighbor? Uh, that was like a 90% issue. Of course I trust my neighbor. Uh, but that's down into the low 20s now that we don't even trust our neighbors. How do we rebuild trust in America? Um, you know, I believe one of the challenges we have is that the media generally has learned that the most eyeballs or the most ear uh, time uh, can be uh, devoted to people who are attacking some part of our country or attacking one another. It gets a lot of attention. People get angry. And I think we, we lose a sense of the connection we have with one another. I don't want to blame that on the media. That's just the nature of people wanting to listen or to read what they agree with. Yeah. Um, I, I, I believe that our religious institutions – and community organizations of various kinds play a very important role for breaking down the kinds of concerns, resentment, stereotypes that we might have. We see people that are different than ourselves. We recognize we all have the same interests in our family and our future and our freedoms. Um, so I, you know, I, I hope that we can encourage the uh, the strength and growth of these community organizations and 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 communities of faith mm. that I think have been part of what has made America the nation that we are. And I also think that those of us who serve in leadership positions need to uh, step away from the attacks, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the demonization mm-hmm. of other people. We can disagree with each other, but still respect the individual yeah. and the fact that they have a right to their point of view. And, mm. and I'm afraid we're, we're missing that to too great of a degree. So yeah. The burden's on me as a leader and others in, in my position and all of us uh, who are leaders yeah. to uh, to do what we can to argue our differences, 
but not attack our fellow Americans. Fantastic. Senator Mitt Romney, thanks for joining us in studio today. Thanks, Boyd. All right, when we come back, we'll be joined by Luz Escamilla, who's running for mayor in Salt Lake City. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.